So, uh, my name's Eric, and that is a loud microphone. I'm sorry if that's my fault. Maybe not. All right. I'll just keep going. Uh, I have uh, social media. If you guys want to connect, reach out, whatever, there's my handle. Uh, I hate voicemails, so if anybody's going to reach out to me, you will show your hatred for me by sending me a voicemail. Um, so connect with me on there if you want. But um, anyways, my name's Eric, and I'm going to share with you today the greatest lie I have ever believed. I grew up in Portland, Oregon on a 26-acre farm, which Portland, Oregon was not the cool place it is today. Like, people, like, move there, I'm like, why? It, like, rains 300 days a year. Uh, I moved to California, I'm like, I don't ever need to go back there to live permanently. But I grew up there on a 26-acre farm, and at a young age, I was cursed with the gift of ideas. And I say cursed because when I have an idea, I see it, I think about it, I dream about it, and I become obsessed about it, and I get motivated and creative for how to make it happen. And my favorite time as a child, as a boy, and still as today, was motocross, riding dirt bikes and in our fields and creating big, huge jumps. Now, the problem with motocross is that it is horribly expensive. Nothing in this sport is cheap. And so I got creative. How do I support my habit on this farm and pay for all these expensive activities I want to do? And so I would steal corn from our backyard, and I'd go on the corner street, and I'd sell corn there. I would tie fly fishing flies and some to the guys at church. I'd buy broken down ATVs and motorcycles, and I'd sell the individual parts to people. I eventually got into graphic design. I would design logos for people and brochures and things. And I was an entrepreneur at a young age, but I didn't even know it. I actually didn't even know what the word meant at the time. And so at the age of 17 or so, I was competing in a bunch of local motocross races and having a great time. Now, I had grown up in a Christian home, had great parents, I was exposed to church, but I would say I lived a pretty mediocre faith. I wasn't badly behaved, but I wasn't that great either. But one thing about me is, boy, could I swear... I had such a foul mouth, especially in dirt bikes and motocross. They're not the most polished individuals, you know. And so at the motocross track, I mean, I could use the F-bomb as a noun, a pronoun, a verb, an adverb, an adjective, and a preposition all in one sentence. It was a discovering of spiritual gift at the time. No, it really wasn't. Um, but this is who I was. I had this safe, contained family life. And then I would go over here and go to these situations where I was a completely different person. And so um, I, for whatever reason, decided to put a Jesus fish sticker on my dirt bike, which I know is contradictory in many realms, but I was out practicing, preparing for a big race, and there's a few friends and acquaintances there. We were far off, and a guy, he was just an acquaintance, he looked and he's like, hey, what is that Jesus fish sticker? I've actually been curious about faith, and I'm, I'm busted. You know, I'd like just like been running my mouth and saying awful things, and I was caught, there's no way that I could tell you about Jesus right after what I just said. And so I shrugged it off. It's like, oh, it's just something I, you know, grew up with. It's my parents, you know, whatever. He's like, no, like, I'm, I'm really kind of curious. And he persisted. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have any interest in telling you about my faith. This is not the time. And again, hey, no, like, seriously, like, you know, is that legit? It's like, no, 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 I just, I'll, I'll tell you later. And a pit filled my stomach. It's like too bad a roaster didn't crow right, right then, because I, like, I literally felt like Peter at this exact moment. And so the topic moved on, and so we just kind of moved on. I just felt like terrible. And the next week, 
we're getting prepared for this big race. And the night before, I feel like, man, I shouldn't go ride. I, don't, I can't explain it. I never was afraid. My friend went and raced. And that Sunday evening, I get a phone call. And my friend, who had been asking me about my faith, he had a terrible crash in the accident and got paralyzed. And so suddenly, all my fear and all my shame of my faith got replaced with courage. And I went to his bedside, and I'm like, I just confessed. I was like, Jesus is alive. Jesus is real. I, no matter how embarrassed I was, he is real. He is the hope of this earth. He is the hope of eternity. Would you know who he is? And so he received Jesus, and it was great, but this was this turning point in my life where all of a sudden my life was set on fire for Jesus at the age of 18. And then I enter college, and I'm on fire for Jesus, but I had this really, really big problem now all of a sudden. I didn't know what to do with my faith. I love Jesus, but I don't know what to do with my faith now because what I believed at the time is that if you really love God, you go into ministry. <laughs> but I didn't want to become a missionary. I didn't want to be a pastor. They were too boring. They didn't ride dirt bikes. I want to do pranks. I want to like be silly. I want to go surfing. I want to like, you know, do crazy things. I just don't like, I'm sorry. Like the pastors I knew, like, you don't want to do fun things with pastors, really. The church is where you go where people tell you what you're doing wrong. I was like, I want to go have fun. But more significantly than that, I had this ravenous passion for startups, for entrepreneurship, for design, for marketing, for innovation, for technology. These were my passions. Now, these are not the terms you usually associate with Christianity or church. And in fact, Christians are usually known for taking something that's really good, knocking it off, and making something really cheesy. Of course, we have GodTube, you know, it's like YouTube. No, we can't just make our own. We have to make GodTube, you know. It can't be, you know, Subway. It has to be His way, you know. And we, we take these things that are, are, are cool and in the marketplace, and then Christians, like, make them suck. Like, what are we doing here? It's not Gold's Gym, it's God's Gym. I mean, there's so many of these. And you go in, like, you know, you're in a, a Christian bookstore. You want to buy mints, Right? You can't just buy a regular mint. No, they have to be testaments, right? <laughs> oh, shake my head. Can you blame me for not wanting to go into ministry? But what I realized is that my passions and giftings were incompatible with my faith. But the trajectory of someone who really loves God, who's a passionate follower, the trajectory of that person is for ministry. And this is where I believe the most damaging lie of my entire life, that I must choose. Do I choose ministry or do I choose marketplace? It's either or. This is the way I come to believe it, that there are those who are in ministry and then there are those who pay for those people. The way I come to believe it is that there, if you're not in ministry, then your responsibility is to go earn the money to pay for those who are, because you obviously don't love God enough. And so there's this invisible line that we have drawn in our minds, that we associate in the kingdom, 
that we've made serving God, really serving God, your sacrifice is all or nothing. Like you're either fully in the ministry, you're fully serving and loving God, or you're full heathen, fully in the marketplace. Because you can't serve both God and money, right? So like, all right, so I guess I'll go serve money? Like, this isn't fair. I couldn't decide. I just knew that what, what ministry was offering me was incompatible with my giftings and strengths. At least that's what it was for me. And so I decided that I can't, left my, I can't let my ideas, my giftings, my passions and strengths, and, and entrepreneurial spirit go to waste in ministry. And so I chose Marketplace. And my responsibility, I took it upon myself. I was just like, all right, my role is to go make as much money as I can and give it to people who really love God more than me. And so with my mind made up, my senior year of college, I started my very first company called Vision Launchers. It's a company that starts companies. Ha ha! Figured it out. Taking all my passions of design, technology, innovation, I'm going to help other people get their startups off the ground. And over for the next five years, I helped launch, grow, start over 200 startups and companies. So much fun. And during that time, my wife and I start going to a church. Now, I'm like fully into like, I'm in business, this is my calling. And so we go to a brand new church, and it's the very first service. And a bald man walks up to me and says, hello, my name's Eric Waterbury, and I want you to know that you have an anointing for ministry on your life. <laughs> okay. First, that's weird. Um, Second, you're using words I don't even know the meaning of. And third, uh, you got the wrong guy. You know, it's like, and all, like, there's no such thing as prophecy, and like, you know, you're, you're, you're bothering me in every dimension I know, you know? And so I just like completely, like, what is, is that about? I just like completely am terrified by it. And we just kind of move on. And, but like, those words, they stuck with me. It's like, wow, something about those words, like, awoken something in me. So a couple years later, the economy takes a dive. And I had a lot of spare time because when the economy is in the dumpster, no one wants to spend money to start new companies, which is a problem when your company starts companies. So I went to a couple of nonprofit clients and at the time I asked them, what is your biggest challenge and headache and, and what is something we can fill our time with? And they said, uh, the donation process is really terrible. Like how people donate, it's expensive, it's clunky, it's not customizable, and all these things. I'm like, all right, cool. So we spent a few months trying to build this new donation technology, widget, software on the web. And so we did it, and it really worked, like to our surprisement. Like we were like, that, that wasn't supposed to work that well, but they used it, they loved it. And so then I went and was catching up with a friend in Southern California. And his background was in event promotion. He was running this nationwide event series and, and taking out big stadiums and doing events. And so we were catching up, and he's like, what are you working on? I was like, I built this little donation widget, and it's really doing great. And he's like, oh, that's really cool. He's like, do you think it can, like, do something for an event? I was like, sure, why not? You know, like, an event registration is just basically a donation. You just don't get to pick the price, right? So, yeah, why not? So... We came together and built a software tool that was for events and fundraising together. And we started, and we started like really small, like really small. Um, but over the years, we grew. We actually got a legitimate office uh, with a ping pong table and beer keg and, 
and lots of other Christian activities in there going on. But, um, and then we, we grew some more. And so we rebuilt the software, and we added to our team, and we rebuilt it some more. And we grew and grew and grew and grew. And so finally, we've got that team. Actually, one more past that. There, there's us. And so over the years, like, we took this little tiny thing, and, and all of a sudden, like, wow, we've got an amazing company. And so today, WebConnects, my company that I co-founded with my friend, we power the events and fundraising for some of the biggest brands in the world. It took us our first five years. It took us five years to process $100 million for our clients. Right now, we process $100 million every two months. We do about $2 million every single day through our software. And we service 40,000 organizations, and we've got a staff of about 40. And we have no investors. We have no venture capital. We've got no debt. And we have like this really crazy thing that no one in software or technology even has heard of. We're profitable. It's crazy. What do we do with our profit? We celebrate our employees. In fact, we take all of our staff, their spouses, and their kids, and we take them out of country. I don't know why I got emotional there. <laughs> it's like, this is fun. I, I, it's probably because it, it's the reward to like celebrate our people. And it's like, it, it's such a privilege. Like, these are the greatest human beings like I know. And I get to call them friends and coworkers. Anyways. But a funny thing happened in the same exact time when I started this company. Back in the, the dumpster diving times of the economy when everything was terrible, Something happened there is that, that word that Eric Waterbury spoke, who, he's here, by the way. That word was taking root in me when he said, you have an anointing for ministry in your life. And I'm like, <laughs> wrong guy. A few years later, I'm like, wait, something is alive now. And so during that season, when we had no clients and no money, I thought, what would it be like? To like, I don't know, do ministry and marketplace. Why not? What do I have to lose? And so I started a ministry called Epic Life. And this is from John 10.10. 10. It says that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That life in Jesus should be great. right? He didn't come and say, I'm going to come and give you life and it's really going to suck. No, it's like, it's epic life, not lame life. Like, we have hope and joy. We've got eternity. We are the hope of glory, a city on the hill. Like, he comes to give us great potential for our lives to have a great impact here. And so, and so sometimes I just I look at, like, Christians are some of the more depressed people I know. <laughs> we should be the most hopeful people. So I was like, you know, I was ashamed of my faith when it was around motocross riders. Like, I want to make something cool, you know? Like, let's do really cool things and let's... Let's elevate what life in Jesus is like. And so what we made this about is, uh, is about transforming what you believe about you, what you believe about God, and what you believe your role on here is. That's what epic life is. If you get those three things lined up, you're going to live a powerful life. And so that was our aim. And so a couple years into that, Eric and I teamed up. I finally got like, all right, he was right. All right, this is kind of cool. But here's the thing is we did it as volunteers. We didn't, like, say no to our vocation and our jobs and our professions. We'd like, let's add this. Let's do this, and we're not going to get paid. We had two people who, frankly, had nothing to lose, and we have nothing to lose. You go for it. We had no other reason that would hold us back. 
We are being provided for by our professions and so allowed us to risk in ministry without fear. And this is very powerful because usually you will only risk to the degree that it will preserve your safety. You will not risk in such a way that you surrender your stability, your livelihood, the food on the table. Most of us, especially in ministry, we're not going to take those chances. It's too risky. And so we will risk to the the level that our fear will bring us to losing a job. And that's the line. And this is called the fear of man. And Galatians 1.10 says, If I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. And so much of what I was wrestling with, with, with ministry and just looking at it like, man, if I had to preach and teach for a job, I'd be terrible. I would, I would do anything to keep people there because I, my, my livelihood is dependent upon my ministry impact. And so when we decided well, we're going to do this and not have any financial incentive, all of a sudden the fear lifted. And we got to do some really fun things in the process. We made a lot of big mistakes and had some epic failures, but we had some epic wins, too. A few of them is, is we built a school in El Salvador. We have no construction experience. I don't know how that thing got built, but it did. We looked and said that every single person has got a spiritual gifting in them that needs to be awakened to them. And it's called a five-fold ministry. We built this little software test for our people, and it's been taken now 250,000 times, 2,000 people a week take this thing. We've discipled and equipped hundreds of people, mostly through Eric Waterbury. I've preached, shockingly, 400 sermons. I counted last night. That's crazy. And the the sermons have been downloaded almost 300,000 times in 170 different countries. We built a social media platform that reaches 300,000 people every single week. We host gatherings around the region in Tahoe and different places. We uh, developed startups and help entrepreneurs accelerate their growth. We even authored a theology book, which is kind of fun. And we created tools and resources that are being used around the world. So again, we've had some epic wins and successes, but man, have we had some epic failures. Now, I joke like I preached 400 sermons, but man, I probably should have been fired during the first 200 because they were terrible. And the only reason I kept going is because I didn't have a job to lose. You know, the poor people who suffered through them. But that's how it kind of goes. Like you start and like, I need to figure this out. I'm, I'm going to get better, but I need a place to start. And so we are the living proof that you can do ministry and marketplace. It doesn't have to be this either or thing. But as a teacher, I just can't help but give you a couple tiny little lessons to anybody in here who's thinking about maybe you want to do ministry and marketplace. I have a couple quick things I want to share with you about how to think about this and a couple things to know. And the first one is this, is surround yourself with people who see what's inside of you. Surround yourself with people who see what's inside of you. You want to have people around you who call you to a higher level of living than what you will do by yourself. If you don't have someone in your life who's made you mad recently because they called you a higher standard, you're living a very safe existence. You will never do anything greater than your comfort zone as long as you surround every single person around you that's like, oh, that's cool, yeah, all in God's timing, awesome. No, not in all God's timing. It's like, hey, get your stuff together, man. (laughs) You're meant for more than this. To say, I love you enough to have you be mad at me because your destiny depends on it. 
You need someone in your life that's like that. You need to seek out people who have that experience, who love you enough, and who you give permission for them to tell you no and to tell you you're wrong. Are the people around you speaking life into you, or are they cutting you down? Number two, reasonableness can kill your calling. Reasonableness can kill your calling. The devil will often persuade you out of kingdom ideas by reasonableness. Uh, I just need more training. I need to like get a few more letters after my name. Oh, I need to you know, have more equipping, or maybe it's, it's really costly, or, you know, someone's already doing it, it's very similar, or it requires more time than I can give. Like, we have all these reasonable expectations that the devil uses in our minds to keep us suppressed, so we never do anything of any significance. You see, God is not looking for people who have safe, contained plans. No, he's looking for people who have bold, courageous faith. See, faith is the defiance of reasonableness. Faith is not reasonable. Faith is what it is for the exact reason that it calls you to something higher, something that intimidates you and, 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 and calls you to something greater than what you would normally do. Number three is step out now. There will never be a perfect time. If you wait for your schedule to open up, for when you're ready to step out for God, it will never happen. All the devil needs to do is just keep you busy. And don't tell me you don't have time. You know, Mr. I binged watch Netflix last night. Don't tell me you don't have time. <laughs> you totally have time. It's just a matter of what you want to give up for that time. Like, I do full-time ministry and marketplace. It means I'm really disciplined in the areas of my life. I've got the same amount of hours in the day as you do. I just choose what the things I can and cannot do. And I sacrifice maybe the, the veg out time for times I'm going to press in. I discipline my morning routine. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time preparing messages. All I do is I wake up an hour early every single morning and just write whatever God tells me. I read. I put down some thoughts. And then an opportunity to speak comes. I just look. What has God been saying to me? Okay, let's go with that. It's really not that hard. But saying yes always requires you to say no. But what we do is we get so terrified about, well, you know, what if it fails? Well, so what? What if it does? You know, th think about the worst case scenario. Your great idea, the worst case scenario is you like go back to what you're doing, right? So unless you're getting into a rocket ship, the worst case scenario is probably your current life now. The very worst thing, almost fell, the very worst thing that can happen if your thing doesn't work out is to do what you're doing right now. You are currently living your worst case scenario. Number four, no, it's probably going to suck initially. I don't know if I can say that word, but I just did. We live in a world where we are obsessed with perfection. Hello, how many filters are on your Instagram photo? And how many attempts in your camera roll did you take to get that perfect shot? We are obsessed with things going well and people seeing that things are going well. And it is crushing our calling. You know, Jesus was looking around and the disciples deserted him. Good thing he didn't have a boss because he probably would have been fired. And he's like, 
so are you guys going to leave me too? And they're like, we actually have nowhere else to go, otherwise we would. <laughs> awesome. Love that. But we are so paranoid about something going wrong and someone knowing about it. You need to anticipate a bumpy ride. And don't get discouraged. It's like kingdom building is hard work. It's going to have times where it's like really challenging and really difficult. But it's okay. And again, my, my first 400 sermons, like I, I still don't feel comfortable preaching, but like I've done a ton of them. You think I'd be better than I am by now. But the first 200 or 300, I don't know, 399, we're like, I, I would get off the stage and I'm like, I'm never going to do this again. This is awful. And because no one was there to fire me, I just kept showing up. And it started sucking a little bit less and less and less and less. Those poor people. And number five, be committed to the long haul. Be committed to the long haul. We can't be committed to 10 minutes of anything. If we stand in line for 10 minutes, oh, we're going to light them up on Twitter like you've never seen. We are so impatient. We're so impatient about how long something takes and like, oh, it didn't like work, you know, or like, you know, slow internet, like we just lose our minds over slow internet, right? We need to be people who have a long view, long obedience in the same direction. Almost anything that I'm successful at is taking me about 10 years to be successful at. In year two, three, or four, like, this is horrible. It's a dumpster fire. Year five, well, maybe they're bringing a hose. Year six, it's kind of smoldering. Year seven, should we just take it behind the barn and shoot it? Year eight, well, it's kind of limping along. Year nine, it's on life support. Year 10, hey, it's alive. <laughs> but what we do is that we take our dreams and our callings and we put them to death because they didn't arrive on our timeline. We take ourselves out of the running of what God wants to do in us because we got impatient. Let me end with this, is that we need to change our, our mindset for we consider calling. God called me to, God called me to. I mean, we, we use words like God called me to the missions field, God called me to Africa, God called me to youth ministry, God called me to campus ministry. But what if, what if it, like, we are actually limiting what God calls us to by that, those, those things we say? Is it not possible that God could be calling you to nursing? He could be calling you to physical therapy or computer programming or law and justice or that God's calling you to engineering or medicine? Like, why are these not the things that we also say that God's calling us to? It's because we've agreed in our mind that God only calls us to some things and not the others. And I'm here to tell you it's both. I love you guys. Thanks for having me.